Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Trade season is here, although very interesting that this Brooklyn-Atlanta trade actually isn't legal to be totally completed until July 6th. But the fact that it's announced now and is completed now, I think is very important with the idea that moves are going to be made around the draft, that a lot of free agency machinations could come into focus. Let's talk first just about the overall value of this trade for both teams and what it does and then we can talk maybe about the larger implications uh, for brooklyn in particular what are the parameters mr larue the brooklyn nets trade the 17th pick in the 2019 draft and a lottery protected 2020 first so basically the way that works is it's lottery protected 2020 21 and 22 and then it converts into two second renders per zach Lowe. and the atlanta hawks send torian prince and a 2021 second round pick, which based on my look on Real GM's database, the only one they have for that year is their own. It could be protected. We don't know all those details, but let's let's say it's their straight second round pick, at least for now. Yeah, so Alan Crabb. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention Alan Crabb in that. <laughs> oh, oh, did you not mention him? Yeah, Alan Crabb is a, a big part of this too. He, he makes <laughs> yeah, 18.5 yeah. million. Just, just that, a small part. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he makes 18.5 million. So the Hawks are getting a first rounder for, or the two first rounders for, or some combination of taking crab and giving up prince prince of course was their first rounder in 2016 number 12 overall and he's got one year left on his deal at 3.5 million crab making the 18.5 million this now will leave the nets with the subtraction of the hold for the draft pick as well they still have denver's 2019 first at, at 27th but that takes up a, a lot less money so with the 21 million dollar cap hold of d'angelo russell still on the books 45.7 million dollars in space projected for the nets were they to remove russell's cap hold and thereby allow him to become an unrestricted free agent 65.9 million dollars in space and with non-guarantees for shaz napier and travion graham could get that to 67 million and in all likelihood that would be enough for two players in the seven to nine year max experience level which starts at 32.7 million projected may change a little bit based on where the cap is but and if they wanted to get more space than that say to bring in kd and Kyrie, then they would probably have to find a way to move on from joe harris but i think most people would consider that to be a value contract that they could move easily or spencer dinwiddie one of those two guys if they wanted to get enough for the max for both Kyrie and kd kd at the 10 plus years experience level is projected to start at 38 
$1.2 million. Well, so I, so, I, yeah. I, th- I think a worthwhile place to start with this, it was something I talked about earlier in, in my piece for The Athletic, is the opportunity cost here in terms of the other options that Mark's had in terms of offloading money. So we could talk about the the price that he gave up, but so to me, the crux of this happening a month before free agency starts is that they could have theoretically stretched Crab's contract over three years. That would have moved $12.3 million of that $18.5 million onto future seasons. Now, there is an undesirable element of that because you're still paying him the money and it's still on your books. Those are the only truly immovable obligations that a team can create for themselves other than John Wall's contract. And <laughs> and so that that to me is significant because if they could have cleared, you know, not the whole thing, but two thirds of it without having to give up any assets whatsoever, then my instinct is Sean Marks thinks there's a, a reason that, and of course the, the added functionality of you can do that after you find out what happens, that I think there's a plan here that involves, you know, pretty cl- not an exact calculation, but something along those lines. Yeah, and Woj uh, reporting in his wrap-up that interest between the team and Kyrie Irving is very real. Whether that means he's going there for sure or not, uh, tough to say, but it's about as strong as you'll hear Woj say something at this time of year before something uh, has happened. And I think part of the reason why you might say the Nets paid a little bit of a premium to do this although they did get a player who can play and potentially be part of their group in Torian Prince and give them some help on the wing, although Prince's defense is uh, developing at best at this moment, but he has the physical tools. But the reason you do this now is because Atlanta was the only team that obviously was in bad salary acquisition mode coming into the summer. In fact, Shamza had reported that a couple days ago. So to be able to do this, to signal to Kyrie, that they're going to have more space to bring someone in is big and maybe even to signal to the Celtics that Kyrie is coming here and you're not going to want to trade for Anthony Davis if Kyrie is leaving because then you won't be able to keep Anthony Davis I don't know if the Celtics would feel that way but a lot of this seems about the time that's what's so curious about this to happen on June 6th 14 days before the draft is one of the earliest times you'll see one of these trades that can't actually be executed I mean it's an actual month until until this trade can be executed so it's the first one of these that i can recall happening this early and i think it's all due to the foresight with free agency how well do you think what do you think of this just in terms of the straight up asset play getting off at 18.5 million and not totally dead money you know crab is probably you know maybe a five million dollar year type of player but coming off of surgery and with that knee issue that he struggled with all year is basically a lost year for him he did not play in the playoffs getting back prince who is of i think that there are some teams that still like him and it seems like the Hawks had kind of soured on him Schlenk he was not a Schlenk draft pick how did they do it in terms of uh, just balancing the scales here for this deal I think it was on the heavy side but the point you brought up about timing I think is, is very astute because they, on the heavy side meaning they gave up a lot meaning they gave up a lot Be- I, I, yeah. I'm lower on Torian Prince than, than many uh, even though he can shoot I think that his defensive limitations are a problem for a team that has higher aspirations you know we'll see what the, what the Nets look like july 15th and whether where torian prince fits in on that if he's even still on the team theoretically he could get moved again but and prince is one year away from being properly paid or close to it as a restricted free agent so it's not like you're getting as much of the rookie scale contract in this circumstance so i don't have a firm grasp of how valuable the 17th pick is this year compared to the average year but you know the 17 gives you the opportunity to get somebody who can be a part of your rotation moving forward maybe not a starter depending on the year and then they get a a future pick and then we don't know the exact details of the of the Hawks pick that's going back the other way but if it's 
2021. By that point, the Hawks might have figured some of this out. And so I'm sure there's something like, oh my God, that could be a really good second. It might be, but it also could be that the Hawks are a playoff team or close to it by then. And so I've always drawn the dividing line at 45. And so if, if they're a playoff team, then you're probably around that range. And it's interesting. So like I, I drew a comparison between this and the trade that the Cavs and Bucks did mid-season this year. And so in that trade, the Cavs received a top 10 protected 2022 first round pick from the Bucks and two seconds. And I believe that pick could have been pushed further, could be, could be pushed further, all the other stuff. And two seconds, but they also gave up George Hill. George Hill is less valuable than Torian Prince for a few reasons. But this to me is a significantly stronger return than that because the first round pick and the fu- and the future first round pick. And, and I mean, based on what we're seeing from the Nets, I think this is a pick that will convey. Yeah, with the young players they have and something good's going to come with that cap space, at least something that's going to help them win this year and the rest of the East below them is not exactly have a a rocket strapped to their back other than maybe the Knicks who we'll get to this is not a good sign for the New York Knicks that this move was made but it does seem like a pretty steep price but much of that depends on Prince's value and we had talked in the mock off season about maybe Philly giving up one of their own firsts to get Torian Prince and I think his value you know he's got one more year on the rookie scale then will be extension eligible can he become a playoff level starting small forward if he can giving up the first for him it is a very good deal atlanta probably doesn't think that of him and like you i i maintain some of the same problems about his defense about his his finishing the shooting probably actually has exceeded expectations but the, the rest of his game has been below you would say from where when he was drafted number 12 in 2016 although many when he was drafted that high many considered it a reach at that time so the one first round pick you know number 17 to get off of crab yeah i think they're paying a premium to get it done now it's also just a hard and fast number 17 it's not denver giving up their pick and then it turns out to be 27 or toronto giving up their pick and then it turns out to be 29 those the nets have have been on the receiving end of some of those first to take on salary in past years with the the farid trade and the jamari carroll trade but then ended up kind of getting burned because those teams are way better you don't have really a huge huge chance of that becoming as much of an issue here maybe the 2020 pick if they're really awesome this year could be pretty back but you know it's hard to see them putting together a team to me that's going to be like you know win more than like low 50s even if they get some of the guys that they want or or if they get Kyrie and either re-sign Russell or fill out that space with someone who's not a superstar as well so yeah I think they they paid a little bit of premium but not a a crazy one they do get that 2021 Atlanta second back I think the, the reason that they agreed on that was that it had a little bit lower value than a a second that's closer in time with the idea that Atlanta themselves will be turning the corner as the Nets have around that time in 2021 and that's part of the reason for making that part of the trade so yeah to me the value really depends more on what you think of Prince if you think Prince is worth a lotto protected 2020 another draft that's not supposed to be amazing by the way first round pick then I think the Nets did fine here if you think Prince is not really that good then maybe not another thing to consider too is if the Nets think that Prince can be a starter you know, they didn't really have a great solution at the three on their roster. Carroll is a free agent. Joe Harris may be more comfortable as a two. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who was never a three anyway, is a free agent. Jared Dudley is a free agent. They also didn't really have like a great stretch four option if they want to try Prince. Well, at, and at that's that what I think this is going. I th- yeah, I mean, Kurex I think would be the other one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you they, they kind of put forwards in a bin and then you just kind of use them use them as well, you know, Kurex and, and with, with Prince. And if Prince can't 
be a three defensively. He can probably be a, a makeshift yeah. four. And depend, and also that gives them flexibility in terms of free agency, depending on what they use. You know, maybe they get Jimmy Butler and then Prince becomes more of a four. Could see that happening. Also, they could restructure numerous elements of this roster between now and even the start of next season, much less moving forward. And Prince being extension eligible, situation where you can only agree to a team-friendly thing, or they could even trade him between now and then, whether it's to clear clear that extra three million off their books or just because they get something better. And I think that's that's another point that I wanted to talk about here, which I think is fascinating, is making the trade a month early in terms of the assets that it took to get off of Crab's contract. And theoretically, those assets could have gone towards something else. And what I mean by that is Crab was, you know, he's he's bad salary, but he's also salary filler in some conceptions of trades if they're not going to use the cap space to sign guys. And so this basically commits them to cap space. So like theoretically, let's say like an Anthony Davis trade, like they could have done an imbalanced deal, used Crab as filler in that deal. Yeah, he's not great money, but it's not like a huge negative. And then you have the 17th pick to include in that trade. Or, you know, Davis is the more extreme example, but you could go with any number of, of other veterans. And so that's another reason for me why this is a clear signal that marks wanted cap space specifically yeah i think having another piece in prince who you know has started in the league before can maybe fill that spot for you and have only cost 3.5 million for a team that has these cap space aspirations to be able to have another cheap piece so i think at a minimum is a rotation player at 3.5 million and now if you sign curry you don't have to be like oh we, we got no threes in the roster we got to use the rest of our space to overpay for a three maybe he saves you from doing that what do you think this means for the future of D'Angelo Russell. The numbers on this kind of, I thought Kevin Pelton did a good job of this in his piece, talking about how it looks a lot more like hey, we're clearing two max slots rather than we're clearing a little bit of extra room for a max slot plus D'Angelo Russell. You know, like that's just the the way this works out. And they could make other moves to, to change that math around a little bit. And there is the possibility that they could play Kyrie, let's say. Let's say he's assigning. There's no guarantees, obviously, that. With, with Russell. But this opens up possibly Possibilities. And so if I were a team that was interested in Russell, I would be more optimistic that he will hit the open market as an unrestricted free agent than I would have been this morning. Yeah, it, it does seem that way because it, it really, oh, thank God, because they already could have gotten to the max space for one guy. So doing this to open up another 12 million and we're going to keep Russell's capital on the books really seems to, to make very little sense. And I also think that Russell and Kyrie make almost no sense together. Maybe you would just, as we talked about, about on yesterday's show try to keep russell around just to maintain the asset and then move him later also interesting that Woj says in there oh they could still retain d'angelo russell on a max or near max deal but he very much seems like a backup plan and of course based on the rules they can give him a restricted free agent qualifying offer and then if guys want to come there they can unilaterally revoke that at least through the first couple weeks of the free agent period yeah and russell's not going to sign it he's not going to sign his qualifying offer anyway so they don't have to worry about that part of it either yeah they they do not and they'd still be happy to have i'm sure uh let's take a quick break here and we can come back and talk a little bit more uh, about the atlanta side of this one of my favorite sponsors is back for another round audible and why are they one of my favorites i've been a customer of theirs since 2005 and i know you listen to this podcast you know about podcasts already but sometimes especially if you're on a super long trip my wife and i are going on this really long road trip this summer so audible will be great for that and now they're offering even more you can choose three titles every one every month one audiobook plus two audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else 
And members also have unlimited access to more than 100 audio-guided fitness and meditation programs. I'm actually listening to Children of Room, which is the follow-up uh, to Children of Time on Audible right now by uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky. I probably listen to like 10 books a year, maybe more than that. Uh, my wife, who drives a, a ton, listens to even more than that. And they've also got this whisper sync technology, which will let you sync up with your Kindle. So you, if you're on your commute, you get home and you just have to know what happens at the end of the book. You can just switch right over to your Kindle. It'll sync up perfectly for you. You can also get free access to the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post delivered daily to the Audible app. And you can access it on any device. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. And your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash capspace. Either or slash capspace. So we talk about it all the time here on the program. Or text capspace to 500-500. Once again, audible.com slash capspace. Or text the word capspace to 500-500. Don't forget capspace to let them know that you came from us. So the Hawks taking advantage, I think, of being the only team in asset acquisition mode right now or toxic contract acquisition for asset mode with crabs 18.5 million on the books plus another 2.9 million from that number 17 pick that reduces their available space from 41 million down to about 26.4 million but still more than enough to maybe even get another first round pick they now own the numbers 8 10 and 17 picks you remember that from the Luka Doncic trade uh, they have the Mavs pick this year as well and now Brooklyn's not considered a great draft although perhaps once you get past the top three or four when there's not a huge delineation between maybe four through eight I don't know if I buy that but maybe some would that it's not the end of the world to be a little bit lower there also perhaps could be a thought that they could move up higher I'm not sure especially because Darius Garland won't be an option for them with Trey Young already really you're talking about trying to get into the top three probably i think to make it worth it to get really rj barrett would probably be the target they're not going to get zion with that so that would be the thought to try and go get rj barrett i don't know how much i would approve of that strategy maybe you just make these picks and there's a thought okay we can't have these so many picks coming in they had three first round picks last year it seemed fine it was spellman herder and trey young and get yourself some more bites at the apple i think that's really you know what these draft picks are about and you know even if only one third of draft picks hit this is the Sam Hankey approach. Now you've got more chances and some of them will hopefully work out in the long term. So pretty straightforward business and I think a pretty good piece of business. Also, they seem to have soured on Prince. He wasn't even starting for them by the end of the year and they're able to get something for him. You know, it looks like it's probably, if you want to say they got a first round pick for him, I think that's probably fair given, you know, I don't think two first round picks for Crab, especially given it was a pretty decent first round pick, number 17, is really fair to look at. So I think it, they got a first round pick for Prince and maybe this will turn out to have been doing a good job of selling high on him before he was extension eligible before they would have had to pay him in restricted free agency next year so I think pretty solid piece of business here by the Hawks. I agree and it's a, a, a an underappreciated decision inflection point for teams that if you don't think a guy is going to be worth his next contract best time to trade him is before that fourth season because first of all that new team can extend that player if they think highly enough of them to do so 
and because you don't get into the awkward dance of, you know, an in-season move or letting losing them for nothing. And so for Prince, if they didn't feel he was going to be worth the next contract, and there's an analog here possibly for, not as extreme, but for Tobias Harris. And so in the Tobias Harris situation, that deal looks far better for the Clippers if you think about, if you think that they were not willing to give Tobias Harris what it looks like his next contract is going to be. And so for, for Prince, it's, you know, if you get that asset for him and he has the defensive tools, you know, measured at the, this, going back to the combine, but unfortunately guys don't really get remeasured. He was 6'8 with a 6'11, I think 6'11 and a half wingspan at that point, but he went to Baylor and they played a bunch of zone and Prince already turned 25. Not that age is destiny or anything like that, but you would hope that we would have seen more defensive development by this point. And I mean, he, he hasn't been on a real team the last two years. It's so. also true. And, and while Kenny Atkinson and Prince never synced up because Atkinson took the Nets job a few months before Prince was drafted, lots of connections within the Hawks. I mean, Atkinson had just left the assistant coaching staff and all that kind of stuff. And w- with Prince, something that's concerning about his offensive development is that, this isn't a surprise, he is sh- shooting more threes and making more of them. He's been at 39% each of the last two years, but those threes came at the expense of getting to the basket. So he went from 36% of his shots being at the rim his rookie year to 17% this year. And a corresponding drop in free throw attempt rate, I kind of grouped those as aggression together. You know, so he's not getting to the line and he's not getting fouled, so it's not a trade-off. And he is more efficient on those shots, which is good. But generally trading restricted area shots for threes is, is it's not great math because restricted area shots are, are some of the most valuable in the game and not getting to the line, all the other ancillary benefits there. And with Prince, he always, like you know, kind of one of those guys, it happens where he kind of looks like a better defender when you see, because he's long and he, and and but he doesn't, he doesn't really have the instincts when I've watched him play. And some of that could be developed with the Nets yeah. and developed with time. Doesn't play physically. Yeah, he doesn't, he d- doesn't use his size. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. And so that's, that's a consideration for me with the Hawks. And another thing I think is underappreciated, and I love that it happens to be these two teams because it's a great way to bring it up, is Damari Carroll. And what I mean by that is Damari Carroll was traded in a money-centric deal two years ago, but ended up providing real value for the Nets. He helped them out. He was a part of the rotation. And even though he was overpaid, still still helped them out. I could see Alan Crabb being a similar player for the Hawks this year. Shooting guard, even though they have Kevin Herter at, you know, looking like the long-term, at least the long-term answer for now, at that position, hard spot to fill, especially backup minutes. And Crabb is looking to rehabilitate his value. I'm sure he's, you know, he's going to be a free agent next year. So he has time to, so he, ha- he has a motivation to put his best foot forward. And there's even a possibility if things go well, that he could agree to a buyout, leave some money on the table, try to go to a contender later in the year if the Hawks aren't in the playoff picture, which saves them, you know, even more money than you're not getting out. You took on 18 and a half million, but maybe you get some of that back later on. So I could see it working out reasonably well for them from that perspective as well. I think the Hawks fans should also be happy that they have an exciting young team, but that they're not trying to short circuit it now by making signings in free agency that might try to accelerate the timeline a little bit. I mean, they still don't really have anything in the long term at the three on the roster and whether you want to call Collins a, a four or five and they still even if you want to say that three of those slots between Young, Herder, and Collins are filled which I'm not saying is 100% even there they still need a, a lot more on this team and, and these draft picks uh, will help them build there they've also still got some huge salaries uh, on their books between Crab, Kent Bazemore, Miles Plumley. so you might that might open things up especially with Crab or Bazemore if one of those guys plays well this year to the mid-season trade for a longer term deal uh, that goes past summer 2020 there just aren't that many of those out there of course because so much bad money was 
was used up in, in 2016 that there wasn't that much money left to buy uh to spend on bad contracts the, the following years but if there's a team that wants to cut salary for the summer of 2020 they'll be in a, a great position to help them do that as well here but still a, a long way to go in this rebuild for the hawks but i think this is still a, a positive step because i don't know that prince was going to necessarily move the, the needle for them we'll see if he develops into a quality starter in, in atlanta then this or i'm sorry in brooklyn then this probably was a mistake one team that cannot be happy right now is the new york knicks because remember when they traded porzingis and yeah they got a nice haul for porzingis but the whole thought was oh they must know something about this summer somebody is going to be coming and since then kemba walker the athletics jared weiss reporting that charlotte is his number one priority he makes all nba so charlotte if they want to pony up it will have a significant financial advantage for kemba Kyrie irving now no one was talking about him going to the nets back then now the nets are, are making this deal for Kyrie and hopefully to, to get another max guy themselves the basketball and management situation in brooklyn is far superior to new york's and now the money aspect is pretty similar in terms of being able to afford two max guys and so whether it's the Knicks now potentially getting nobody or one of the two guys the Knicks wanted to get now going to the Nets obviously the Clippers are, are sitting out there with double max room as well and hey these all these guys that they want could always just go back to their teams that they're already on right now with full bird rights uh, as well so uh, bringing in another suitor that has the same money as the Knicks but has very solid NBA players sitting around whoever might want to go there and a much better organization yeah they're not the Nets are not the Knicks in terms of their cachet but you're still in new york it's uh, it's not great for the knicks if number one because there are more suitors but also because you much as we thought about the knicks the nets are like well they got to feel pretty strongly that something is going to happen here to have done this the, the knicks i thought their move with porzingis was more defensible just as a move in and of itself regardless of the cap space aspirations this move by the nets really to me isn't you know this is all about the cap space there really is no other justification for it especially when the stretch provision was another possibility there and yeah I cracked I cracked up when you were giving that description because it reminded me a lot of what we said about the Clippers and Lakers when the Clippers made the Tobias Harris trade that they you know they have a different case to be made they don't have the prestige of the higher of the higher team and I mean in the in that case we've seen an even greater disparity between the front off like the off basketball court stuff since that trade happened than we even knew then and the Knicks and Nets it's another huge disparity so how much do they care about playing in Madison Square Garden having the Knicks as their team as opposed to it being the Nets same thing with the Clippers and Lakers it's a big question and what's so striking now even more so than it was a couple days ago much less a couple months ago is that there are so many more slots even just in the major markets than there are players worthy of it and as you said any number of them could just choose to go back to their current team and that would whether it's on a short-term deal like the rumored thing with Kawhi or on a long-term deal there might be far fewer players than slots and so how do they how do those those teams react it's not like they can rolling that money over to 2020 does them a ton of favors and maybe we start to see some players under contract get traded but the sacrifices that these teams have made in certain circumstances and this being one of them for the the opportunity to sign these guys is remarkable yeah the only thing that i don't like about this trade from the nets perspective is lightening the coffers a little bit for a potential ad trade right yeah that's a big criticism of it for me that and the 
idea that, yes, it's true that there was nobody that could make that trade now. My firm belief is that the gravity in the NBA is that if you need to make a move, that the opportunity will present itself. And we know teams are going to strike out on free agents and that there will be cap space. So it's awkward to do, let's say, what the Warriors did back in 2013 when Andre Guadalla was a free agent. They didn't have the space to sign him. But we know this summer, because so many teams cleared space, that there are going to be teams on July 6th, July 7th, that say, crap, this is the best thing we can do. All right, let's move on to the other big news of the day. Showed up at Oracle Arena for Media Day, and two seconds after I got there, Steve Kerr announces that Kevin Durant will not play in Game 4. We recorded last night with the assumption that he would play. Everything about the Warriors' behavior seemed to indicate it. Holding Clay Thompson out, Kerr saying before yesterday's game that KD would try to scrimmage 3-on-3 or 5-on-5 at the practice facility later on in the day and then that was next the training staff supposedly told her no he actually has a, another hurdle he has to get past he did not do that today and Kerr says that he misspoke that katie would be doing this yesterday and so he's not gonna play in game four and this now means that the warriors season is i mean it was always gonna be on the line in game four because even if katie were back winning the three in a row from game five uh, onward it would have been difficult but at least maybe they could have gotten a game under his belt so that he could have performed it at an NBA finals level for the last three games that's now not going to happen and so a depleted Warriors team Kevon Looney might be able to play again at some point in the finals because he's getting a second opinion but this is dire dire straits for Golden State and we'll see what kind of shape Clay is in coming back and now I think we're at the point where when you consider both his health and the distinct possibility that this series could end early that that KD may not play in this series. I think it's probably more likely than not between those two things that he doesn't ever play in the series and that we may even have seen KD in a Warriors uniform for the last time in that game five in Houston. It is a distinct possibility and it does this puts a lot on the Warriors in game four not only because they have to play it without Kevin Durant but because this pushes back the timeline for each step of it you know like he won't come back 100% you know it's not not like oh but he's cleared yeah. for game five and he's good so the, you know having it be another step in that process so my expectations of how much he can play and how well he can play in game five game six and game seven are altered on this and even even if the Warriors win game four then they're tied without home court advantage against the team that has played well overall in the series and we'll see how game four changes our opinion of that so yeah this is a lot a lot for them to take on and it does sound like Clay Thompson's going to play that 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 he'll be back and we'll see what happens with Looney moving forward but yeah it's it's a it's a lot and with the current structure of the of the Warriors roster this is something Kevin Pelton and I talked about on Real Jam Radio which we recorded earlier on Thursday that but before the Drake news was was made official that we were getting closer to that point where maybe they could start to play Draymond at center a little bit get into some of those offensive lineups that could put the Raptors in difficulty and instead now that gets pushed back at least one game and possibly further yeah and if Looney can, can come back I feel better about their chances Cousins awful performance in game three I think is a big blow to what you can can expect from this team going forward as well he was so key to what they did in game two and maybe you could expect one more game out of him where he's good in this series but he's so volatile that when he's not playing well he's just gonna kill you which is a a big issue for golden state and they kind of have to keep him run him out there and see whether you know what kind of a day he's having 
and perhaps by then it's already too late if, to, if you're even if you're playing them like 18 minutes or whatever so this series now is looking a lot more like just you would traditionally think oh yeah the team with home court advantage is up 2-1 and we usually say well if you're the road team and you expect to win the series you you need to be up 3-1 after four games and that's obviously not a possibility for the Warriors. so even if they can scrape together a victory in game four if there's no KD coming back, they are looking like underdogs in the series. And that's not to say that they can't win it, but it's, uh, and especially when you consider the load that Steph Curry had to carry and, and perhaps exhaustion could be become an issue for him as early as tomorrow with only one day off and having played basically the whole second half at, you know, maybe the, the biggest effort of his career ever in a single game, at least in regulation. Yeah, you, uh, you'd have to say that this news makes the Warriors uh, substantial underdogs in the series at this point in time and obviously if toronto wins tomorrow night it's over in all likelihood i i I wouldn't totally rule out a warriors team if kd comes back because they just have so much talent but i mean it's it's very difficult anything else there or or should we hit a a couple more of these little newsers no i think you got to that pretty well we can do a little bit we've gotten some news on the the team usa squad that will be in training camp for for the fiba world cup which takes place in i believe september of 2019 in china yeah yeah I, I might be there we'll see if they give me a credential or not but yeah i don't think we need to go through the whole team but i no. think it's it's more noteworthy at this point who's not on the team i mean really your only top 10 players in the nba who are on the list right now are dame lillard james harden and ad so and then you know some other role guys i mean there's some looks like some decent balance to the roster but this is not going to be like an overwhelming usa team and generally you know what with these big stars they always uh there's some possibility that they could end up dropping out you know uh usa basketball must be getting desperate when you've got two adidas guys out of the three headlining <laughs> and going to china which is a, a big market that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek although many have complained about nike's oversized influence uh, over usa basketball the last 15 years or so but so we could talk much more about the team when it starts coming together after summer league we're hopefully going to do a lot of world cup coverage but this is not looking like one of those just juggernaut usa teams and people forget how close they came to winning it in 2016 when they really only had at that point one top seven player in the nba which was kd uh and those are the guys who really make the enormous difference considering that the usa doesn't have a chemistry advantage over a lot of these teams they got to make it up by just blowing them out of the water and telling and yeah if you're talking about an nba game sure if you put all these guys on a team and let them practice and stuff they'd kill australia or france or who look like the two biggest contenders serbia is always going to be up there too so uh i'm a, this is not a great sign and you thought maybe with three years off and the lure of china that some of the bigger guys might be in there but it's looking like this is the reports of what the team is going to be so no curry no lebron no clay thompson no paul george no Kawhi. so that's a, a and those those are the type of guys who uh obviously uh, give the usa the biggest advantage i know nobody cares about this i usa basketball is still the one thing that i actually still root for as a fan so i, I i'm allowed to get a little worked up about it um and then have you noticed the washington wizards still don't have a general manager and they haven't even interviewed anyone in like over a month it's bizarre i mean we're two weeks from the draft now yeah so and fred katz wrote his second 
piece uh, about this at once they because uh, he, he made the point once they got rejected by tim Connolly, which came as a great shock to the organization that okay they could have circled back with one of these other candidates that they interviewed and hired him and they could have been fine but they haven't really done that they've done a few interviews they're working under tommy shepherd who is uh, the interim gm uh, was there uh, in the grunfeld administration talk now is that they are going to attempt to lure masai ujiri to washington it certainly seems like that is a rather unlikely possibility with you know maybe if Kawhi leaves and washington just uh, you know offers them 15 million dollars a year or something but uh, mlse certainly uh, it has ponied up for ujiri before remember they poached him for from the nuggets to begin with by paying him a lot more and then he's got a promotion to president of basketball operations and appears to be one of the higher paid gms in the league and so i don't know if washington is gonna beat them maybe the the fred speculated that perhaps the proximity to washington and barack obama could help somehow with the some of ujiri's aspirations for helping with uh basketball in africa and stuff but that seems uh rather attenuated at this point in time when you consider the basketball situation that i don't think the wizards are necessarily going to outbid the raptors either well, so and, and beyond that yeah. i think that the wizards it's not this tantalizing situation where they have a no, ton, they, have, they have a ton of draft picks and cap flexibility and so you get the chance to to remake a team whereas the raptors are all tied up and not that interesting yeah. no i mean they're john wall is one of the worst contracts in the entire nba that's a complicated situation with bradley beal they already traded out a porter they have yamahimi's yeah. crappy money on their books so the the appeal for a general manager would be more about money and job security considering the last person was terrible at his job for more than a decade before he got fired so but i don't think ujiri has to worry about that so it would be shocking for me if he took that job it's not impossible because just like players in free agency general managers are human beings that can prioritize whatever they want i it just the the tea leaves that we can see just don't don't line up no i i think you're a little harsh on grandpa we talked about that before i think there there were he definitely had some really bad stretches but there also were you can still kind of understand why when leonsis came in he was just beginning what was one of his better stretches and so you could see why it maybe lasted so long for grunfeld uh because it seemed like they're on kind of a steady upswing basically from 2010 to 2017 and then obviously they took the step back the last couple of years and yeah the, the wizards had the number nine pick and also bradley beal two years left on his contract did not make all nba this year when he would have been eligible for the designated player veteran extension but it might make the most sense to trade him and it might make the most sense to trade him 14 days from now at the nba draft and they're not going to have anybody who has the equity in place by then even obviously if, if they were to lure ujiri it would be really after the free agent period is completed there'd be no way even to get an answer from him even if the raptors win in five and you're able to meet with them within the next week there's no way he's in place in time for free agency and obviously you know to, to be able to have done the work that that would require so it looks like tommy shepherd almost certainly is going to be running things for the whiz uh, during this very important summer for them ready to talk a little darius garland after this ad <laughs> thanks Dan. D- danny's just uh messaged me silently that i i should do an ad and he, he 
is correct about that i get so passionate about basketball sometimes i I forget that we need to pay some bills around here and uh if you've had a night that you are feeling a bit forgetful about blowfish is the only hangover product with a formulation that's recognized by the fda as effective and safe it's called blowfish because they tested it and that's the only name that hungover people could remember you don't have to plan ahead you don't usually plan for the night getting a little bit out of hand so you wake up in the morning drop two blowfish tablets into water and drink up when the fizzing stops the combination of aspirin and caffeine will work in about 50 minutes twice as fast as regular pills the effervescence is a lot gentler on your stomach which i've been told i have no personal experience with this of course that your stomach can be sensitive around these times and if you don't believe it give blowfish a try it's got a money back guarantee and they're offering our our listeners 20 percent off at fourhangovers.com slash capspace that's 20 percent off your first order at fourhangovers.com slash capspace don't forget that slash capspace url let them know that you came from us four hangovers for hangovers.com slash capspace all right let's get to darius garland just give us uh, some basics uh, on him here danny the measurements that i found for garland six foot two 175 pounds with a six foot five wingspan he is 19 right now and turns 20 in late january of next year so this will technically be his age 20 season on basketball reference but he'll be a very young 20 for the way that they count it and what shapes the kind of the the prism for garland is that he has this resume he was three-time mr basketball in tennessee but didn't really do much of the team usa stuff his dad winston garland played seven seasons in the nba well well, i I didn't do much of the team usa stuff you mean like he's been in the usa program i don't know that he's played in any of the tournaments he was on the uh in the nike hoop summit right right so that's where those measurements come from so he's been he's been a part of the process but yeah but we we don't have the we don't have the log of stuff like we did for michael porter jr who lost most of his college for for his freshman year due to injury that's kind of what i was getting yeah yeah to see him playing at some kind of a high level and and that's the big stat on garland is five because he played only five games for vanderbilt and only one of those uh, against high major competition uh which was usc right and that makes it you know so we talked when we did john morant about you know morant went to murray state and so the competition that he played against well darius garland was in the sec but he didn't play sec teams because it was liberty and and those type of teams as opposed to being their their conference schedule because of when garland got hurt with the meniscus surgery the good news is that he is expected to make a full recovery so it's it's not an injury where you're freaked out about the long-term impacts but we still lost a lot of evaluation time a couple other nuggets that i thought were interesting with him he was the first five-star prospect ever to sign with vanderbilt university and a big part of that was that presumably that he had this big connection with bryce drew who many will remember for his college exploits at valparaiso but he also was the coach there and darius garland attended bryce drew's valpo camps back when he was in third grade and that connection stayed with them enough that that was part of the reason he committed to vanderbilt after bryce drew had changed schools during that intervening years and you might be saying well how is this guy who played five games being mocked as the number four overall pick and perhaps that says more about some of the players that we haven't gotten to yet having disappointing seasons because it's hard to say based on the available film where you know he had some flashes obviously but just not enough of of a sample to really feel incredibly high on him you know this isn't a case of like Kyrie Irving in 2011 where you know he played the 11 games and looked amazing during that time and was scoring well when he came back from the injury uh, at the end of the season in the NCAA tournament he really just did not have uh, the resume. And I think the biggest pause that get, that that gives me for him is just figuring out 
about how good of a shooter this guy really is certainly it can look extremely good for him at times he's got a quick release versatility going either direction off the dribble can take uh, those deep three-pointers that have become all the rage and can really bend a, a defense to its breaking point out of pick and roll he's capable of coming off screens as well he has a background as more of an off ball guy early in his career but like with trey young and he is a very good free throw shooter about an 85 percent free throw shooter over the course of his career as re- reported by nba draft.net how real is that shooting is he going to be jacking up shots and he's going to shoot 32 percent? is he going to be 36 percent? is he going to be 39 percent on these type of shots and you never know that i mean we didn't know that with trey young either but we had an entire season of him jacking up 10 threes a game to figure that out with garland much less the case so that to me is the number one question with him is is that going to develop if that becomes a real strength for him while he does have a lot of holes in his game elsewhere i think he showed enough flashes in the rest of his game to conclude that he's probably gonna be really good if that shooting holds up but once again i mean you just don't have a great understanding of that but certainly given what he's shown there and his handle which we'll talk more about developing passing vision some pretty good quickness the upside with him does exist yeah i i I think it does as well and i i mean it was remarkable that when i pulled him up on synergy and they they split it by possessions and there were only 91 possessions plus assists so that's really you know something where he's involved in in the primary action and is is usually is involved in the conclusion of the play either an assist a turnover a shot something like that and there were only 91 of those so i just you know usually i do preliminary like 10 minutes or so and i'm just like nope my preliminary thing is going to be watching all of those and so i watched all of his offensive and all of his defensive possessions and then watched the, the game against sc and sure it feels good to be able to watch like all of the college film on a, on, a, on a player basically but you did realize how thin that was like you know just this the, the the variety of circumstances that you could get into i mean that's why you know like mike schmidt's video was able to have some of the jordan brand stuff and the mcdonald's practices and all that kind of stuff and even that you're like oh look oh look that's something that he didn't have the opportunity to do in his four plus a little bit games yeah no that's right especially some of the spot up shooting stuff in particular 53 percent of his possessions in those games came out of the pick and roll and like we said showed some flashes there the ability if you go under on him to bang that three-pointer and to shoot it from way out shows some pretty nice quickness as well really more of a horizontal athlete than a vertical athlete i'd say but the ability to split off the pick and roll i would describe his handle as creative but not that tight right now once again it's showing some flashes but you know not put together on every possession i think that he and this is true of a lot of areas of his game in the pick and roll you know his passing he misses passes to be sure but i think he has at least an intellectual understanding of what he's trying to be doing uh he'll see stuff he'll try it on occasion but whether it's off the dribble with with some of his moves whether it's getting to the basket with creative finishes that just don't necessarily go down but you kind of see what he's trying to do with them or whether it's making the right decision you see flashes of it but it's not there very often and again in those five games more turnovers than assists and when you consider the amount of time he handled it in pick and roll that is not great but i do think he showed nice acceleration nice moves you saw him create 
creating the separation using that shooting threat as well splitting the pick and roll breaking guys down didn't see this as much against high major competition the one game <laughs> but he, he's able to at the lower levels at the euro camp a couple of years ago when he was going against older prospects some of the better prospects in europe at that time break guys down get to his pull-up jumper and make it at a pretty decent rate so there's a lot to like there i think as far as the separation that he's able to get off the dribble you add that with being a pretty good shooter and then some off ball game as well and you're looking at someone who could be a very very good offensive player one of my favorite things in his film was there were a few different occasions where vandy would have him as the inbounder on a baseline out of bounds play and then he would throw it in and it would basically be like a steph curry relocation three just through a different action and he he moved well he found the spot got there at the right time and just put up the shot with no hesitation and you talked about how he was on ball so much at vanderbilt that was a a sign of something that we ended up seeing in the limited amount of non-vanderbilt film that i was able to watch that he has these tools to be a useful valuable off off ball player and yeah that's not as useful for a guy who's 6'2 as it is for somebody who's 6'6 or 6'7 because then you know to, to maximize that you need somebody else who's big and bigger and can handle the ball but I do like that that not only in terms of his skill set but also in terms of the recognition and the activity level I, I liked his his energy off ball was one of my favorite things about Garland because he was moving around trying to get himself open there was this one hilarious play where so I said he was the first five-star ever to sign with Vanderbilt. The second one, uh, Shitu, signed shortly thereafter, and they actually played together at Vandy. And there was this one play where Shitu's driving, and Garland, is sta- he gets himself open on the opposite side and is just kind of jumping around. But it wasn't like he was being selfish. He's just like, hey, man, I'm here. Like, I'd like the ball because I'm going to score three points. And he ended up not getting the ball. But it was, I, I, but I like that sort of a thing where it's like, he, he could kind of see what's going on. And you could see little parts of that defensively, too, where he didn't have all the tools yet, but at least he was trying. And trying, is, it's not half the battle but it's a part of the battle yeah you know i wouldn't describe him as a, a low effort player uh you know still not someone who's going to get a, a lot of steals the defense is a concern one position defender you mentioned the six five wingspan pretty similar frame to john morant although certainly much higher defensive effort level than morant although you might say that morant has a little more quickness and anticipation you know garland i don't think he's going to be a big steals guy i don't know how physical he's going to be able to be getting over screens not going to be able to switch at all i i would guess uh didn't really see him make any kind of help defense plays or even just to get into the right place or try and take charges or anything like that really uh, very little in terms of disruption uh again i wouldn't characterize him as low effort necessarily uh, i think this uh transfers over to the offensive end as well that he just has zero physicality whatsoever at this stage he does very little on the defensive glass most times he even if there's a defensive rebound he would never even go below the free throw line to try and grab it uh, so maybe he could get to being adequate defensively you know i think his feet are okay he doesn't have terrible length at six five wingspan for the point guard position and i think you know again i didn't get the impression that he is lazy but i don't foresee him being above average defensively at, at that position by any and more likely than not i would say below average yeah do, there, do you concur with that yeah i do there wasn't as much that scared me in his film like let's say trey young where i was just going yeah. going he's crazy. also not like a pressure the ball kind of guy 
guy right. with a quick feed either. He doesn't do any of that. No, so. and, and maybe some of that could come a little bit later. But again, you know, we'll have to see. And something else, you talked about the idea of physicality that struck me with Garland's film was the fouls that he drew didn't really seem repeatable against dramatically better competition to me. It was more like you're aggressive and you fall down. And it wasn't like he created, you know, did a lot with the contact or anything like that. He just, he kind of got those calls. And especially for thinner guards, the thresholds just really change once you get to the NBA because these guys move so well and there's so much more help at the rim. And so, you know, like getting a, a Liberty defender that's reacting a little bit too late and gets into your way and they give you the foul call is very different than doing the same thing against the Atlanta Hawks, much less the Toronto Raptors or the Warriors. Yeah, and I thought even in some of those games against the mid-major, low-major competition, he still had some struggles finishing. Now, the finishing is is really interesting. He's not a leaper, particularly off of one foot. You know, he didn't really seem to have much Euro step covering ground game. You know, when we had Cody, Cody Topper on a couple of days ago, you know, he, he talked about confrontational finishing versus evasive finishing. And certainly confrontational finishing, he just doesn't have the athleticism to do that he's not going to go through guys chest at all uh now he shows some ability to get to some scoop shots some nash speed layups and then I think his floater, you know, he has good natural touch, obviously, shooting the ball, and he can kind of bounce in into that floater off the hop. Again, something he's got to work on. It's not, you know, a Steph Curry, Trey Young type of floater where he's just awesome at it. And he's not really, he's got to kind of still slow down, pop onto two feet and loft it up rather than being able to shoot it more on the move, at least at this point in time. But I think he could get to where, if not having elite touch within 15 feet, he could get to being better there uh, and solid he has to find ways to get to the foul line more for sure and kind of utilize his skinny body to be a little bit more physical and yeah you're not going to go through guys but you can at least when you're able to use your quickness to get past the guy then if you try to go through their body while they're trying to move laterally to cut you off you can draw fouls he doesn't really do much of that from what i've seen i do think it's encouraging that he's comfortable at least trying to finish with both hands and he's got like some some double pumps and some scoops with either hand i think he's again not without touch but and it can look good every once in a while but like so much of his game there are flashes but in the aggregate it's not that amazing tight package it's more just all right you see what he could be if he can get there but you know maybe you're just falling in love with some of those flashes and it never becomes an every play type of skill level for him i wanted to go back a little bit to kind of passing slash judgment at a couple of notes in there that I wanted to mention. Yeah. And so something that I, I saw there, I'll, I'll just use the phrase I had in my write-up, is that he doesn't have all the passes in the in the toolbox. Like you can think about Chris Paul, like the he's the, the extreme example here. But, and he also doesn't have amazing touch on his passes, but Garland, he seems to be looking in the right places, which is a first step. You know, a lot of times I'm looking more for that for a 16, 17-year-old point guard prospect than a 19-year-old prospect, but it's a step. And when you have a jump shot, then I give you a lot more credence. And then another thing that I liked about about Garland as a passer was his he had some intriguing plays that demonstrated patience and vision so there was one where he waited for the heart he, the hard hedge to release 
instead of forcing the pass early. And then by waiting, that opened up the window for him to hit the to hit the roll man. I really like it when guys can can recognize when the best time to pass is. That's an important thing. And then for the vision, you know, driving on the opposite side, hitting an open man in the far corner and had a baseline drive where he kept his head up and found someone near the basket once he drew the help. Those sorts of plays aren't those aren't like next level things, but they're they're definite value adds for somebody who still has a lot of, of room to grow. Yeah, you, you mentioned the passing and another thing where in theory he could be good, but just isn't really right now is in transition. He's not this downhill put pressure on the rim type of player. I, I mean I love guys like Trey Young and Seth Curry obviously have done this of, of where if you're pushing the ball up after a miss and Dame Lord is kind of like this too, although they have never really played with that kind of a transition emphasis in Portland, where it's really if you can pull up from 30 feet in transition, that really makes things zip gold and now it, the help isn't in place and so you can blow by guys who feel like they have to get out on you there. And, and I do think Lillard is an interesting comparison for him. Again, Lillard came out as a much more polished player but i think their passing vision is a little bit more similar and lillard is someone who likes to to pull up from deep but isn't necessarily the most natural point guard in terms of really pushing it down your throat in transition or hit ahead passes or you know and lillard has taught himself to be a solid passer but he's not up there on the list of like the great passers i i would see him and again the fact that garland doesn't have necessarily the same athleticism that dame does uh, by any means and Dave struggled with his finishing for a long time before he got better at it later in his career but I, I do see a few similarities there just to, in terms of their passing vision and some of the things that they do well again I, I would be shocked if Darius Garland becomes as good as Damian Lillard Damian Lillard's a top 10 player in the league but that's I think is a more accurate comparison than Trey Young someone who's also being compared to you know Young to me is one of the best passing college point guards I've ever seen and also you know is really hunting his shot a little bit more and I, I thought you know got to the foul line a lot more just had a lot more tricks and i think it was even a, a better finisher better floater than garland garland a lot more defensive potential than young he's got more size and uh more pure athleticism more explosion but that's uh to, just to compare him to a couple of guys to try and put him into context to, to some degree here uh and once more we have to emphasize all of the things that we're saying you just have less certainty about everything that you're saying because we just haven't seen it that much at a high level at a competitive level right and and there is also the the element that i think goes slightly in garland's favor which is that we didn't also see the development that would have happened over the course of his freshman year you know a lot of guys look significantly better in the last five games of their freshman year than they do in the first five games but but he also has missed that development absolutely which which is kind of yeah so depending on where a team is in the success cycle how much pressure they have on that player in this case garland contributing immediately that is a you know that could scare some teams off that he you know first of all it's a bigger risk but also it's a risk that will take longer to pay off and i'm intrigued by garland and we've only done four four players so far to me he's unambiguously behind jaw and zion but with rj it gets confused it gets complicated because i've got him higher than rj i i I do as well but i have them in the same tier and the reason why is i i do think positional scarcity runs in in rj barrett's favor but the problem for barrett is that if we don't get into that top echelon of let's say like the 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 85 percent outcome for him if we're outside of that it gets to a player that is a lot less valuable you know i didn't i wasn't impressed with his defense the shooting becomes a much bigger problem because he's not gonna have the ball in his hands 
as much. And with Darius Garland, he still can shoot, hopefully, and he can, you know, point guards, primary ball handler, whatever term you want to use, they have value. They can be on the second unit. They can do lots of other things. And so I'm I'm less concerned about those sorts of things. So yeah, Barrett, I mean, if, if everything works out for Barrett, he could be awesome. I think he has more physical tools, but lacking a jump, the jump shot is a definitive factor in the modern NBA. And if, if teams don't have to defend you when you don't have the ball, it makes life so much easier. And with Garland, I think they will have to defend him and that helps out his team. Yeah. And I feel a little bit more comfortable with Garland just because his jump shot just looks right like when it goes in it's pure his makes look really good and then he's the son of former nba point guard winston garland everyone regards him as a good worker and you know i feel much better about him than if you know he's kind of like just some dumb gummer gunner yeah like if you compare him to say malik monk you know where monk was just it was everyone always knew he was never going to be a point guard you know i think garland has taken some big steps towards becoming a point guard even you know when he was more of an off-ball player earlier in his high school career he shows a lot of creativity a lot of advanced dribble moves and while it is really too bad that he lost this freshman season and maybe he could have made a, a much bigger impact than he did he does show the flashes and given the fact that all of the intel stuff on him is really good that makes me feel better about turning these flashes into consistent production and then the reason i would probably have him above rj i'll, I'll do my final board but it, i I'm almost certain he's going to be above RJ on it, is... I think he has the upside you know i like upside especially early in the draft i don't really see the upside for rj i mean i i mentioned you mentioned how rj you know how does it work for him if he's kind of you know median outcome for him or some things don't work out or the jumper doesn't necessarily come around i mean to me i don't necessarily see that much upside for rj other than kind of engine of a below average offense whereas with garland i think his ball handling and his shooting there's enough there like if you can really dribble and you can really shoot and you've got some quickness that could be a, a fantastic player you know i don't feel as strongly about him as i did trey young last year because he doesn't have that fantastic passing and young had an entire season and i was more of a believer perhaps in young shooting than garland so though i do think garland can, can get there and i like what what he can do to be sure when, when he's locked in uh but you know young had one of the better freshman seasons ever from a statistical standpoint and we see that from garland of course and there's a, a lot of risk but i think i have a higher risk tolerance higher in the draft just because I, I think nba basketball is all about finding stars and so you should try try and do that even if there's a, a higher bust potential uh and yeah he does have a number of weaknesses that are unlikely to improve a ton you know is he going to become a great passing point guard at the nba level of it my guess is probably not, you know but i think he can do enough with his gravity and his ability to attack off the dribble that and especially if he works on his finishing, I mean, that's another real huge bellwether for him with me. If when he if he does put pressure on the rim, can he finish at a decent enough rate or get the foul line to be efficient from two-point range? I think he's got a pretty decent off-the-dribble ISO game as well if you're late in the clock, so he adds that. He's not going to be good defensively. He's not going to be good on the board. So that that's always a, a concern when you're talking about him being the star of a team that's at the highest levels in the NBA. But, you know, if you're talking about him being a very good 
point guard. You know, I I feel pretty confident that he can at least be, unless he just totally busts out due to just the shooting doesn't work the way we hope it will, or injuries or something. I, I think he can be a very solid offensive point guard uh, at a minimum in the league. You got anything else uh, on Garland here, or should we wrap things up? No, I think you summarized it pretty well. I I the like crazy, you know, like all NBA upside for me, unless the shot is just monstrous, probably isn't there. But a functional point guard who teams have to respect is really valuable. And I like that he brings effort and in, intention to a lot of what he does. And so that can bode well. I'm willing to give young players a more latitude, more benefit of the doubt in those circumstances. And so that leads to, you know, a higher bust potential because you're trading certainty for possibility. But that's just the way these things work out. And uh, before we go, I'll mention I, the, the, both of these came up during the course of the broadcast, but Real Gym Radio with Kevin Pelton was really great. We talked about the finals. We talked about lessons from this offseason and some not only some mock offseason insight, but some offseason offseason insight, including before the trade happened, talking about we both were skeptical of the D'Angelo Russell Kyrie Irving fit, which may be more possible now. We talked about that a little bit. And also my analysis of the trade for the athletic is up as well. So that's, you know, we go through some of the numbers and, and why I think this is an interesting gamble for the Nets in particular. All right, we'll be back tomorrow night as we find out whether we have ourselves a series or not in this NBA Finals. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.